Hello, everyone. I'm David Heller, and my phone just went off, and it's Barney. Why is it? <laughs> you really won't come up here with me? You won't come up here with me and do my, uh, you, you can't do it? Okay, let's start that again. Hi, I'm David Heller, and this is the third episode of Content Mints, Five Minutes or Less, and it's sponsored by Assemble Partners. Before we get going, I'd like to talk a little bit about finding your voice. What does that even mean? Here's the thing about finding your voice, right? It's, uh, it's not easy. We can make words come out of our mouths, but finding your voice is not just saying words. It's finding something inside that's uniquely yours and saying it in your own way so that it resonates with other people. Maybe even brings people together. And uh, that's what we're attempting here tonight. Eight brave souls, or nine or so, are going to give expression to something, anything. What We don't know. That's because this is five minutes or less, and we don't know what you brought. We didn't ask. And finding out is part of the fun. Again, we're going to start with experimental poetry. Sorry, Julian. He keeps telling me not to do this. <laughs> this is an exercise in randomness. We asked everyone here, before this started, to write down a word or two on an index card about how they're feeling. Sophie has collected the cards, so we're going to call this an index card poem. And if you're listening at home and you do not enjoy experimental poetry, you can skip this part. <laughs> if you're here, sorry. <laughs> These are shuffled, Sophie, these are sh well shuffled. Okay, I am feeling sad, transcendental and prickly. I am feeling upside down. I am feeling menopausal. I am feeling lost. I am feeling sticky. It's hot. I am feeling peachy. I am feeling, somebody help me out here, Charlotte. Come on, come on, come on. I can't do that one. Occur? <laughs> I'm feeling optimistic. Woo. I'm feeling understanding. Effervescent. Teeming. Curious. Charlotte? Pass it on if you can't read. Intrigued. I'm feeling intrigued. I'm feeling nervous. I'm feeling... Uh, out of breath, shaky, hot, eager, intrigued, confused, stoked, anxious, drowsy, hot again, antipath, Charlotte? <laughs> Anticipatory. Anticipatory. Uh, uh, Charlotte, sorry. Sweaty? Sweaty, I'm feeling sweaty. Handwriting, people, handwriting. Understated, wiped, anticipating. When I go around in a circle, and then you start hearing again, let me know. Delicious. Oh, I think I'm at the beginning. Sad. All right, thank you, everybody. That's all I got. Thank you for your words. And now, if you're, I think we all know how we, how we all feel right now, so that's, that's a good thing. Tonight, we're going to start with someone who I just met for the first time, but I feel like I know him from an underground podcast that is yet to be released that I was lucky enough to hear. 
And he made me laugh a number of times on that podcast, and I thought he should come to five minutes or less. He's a writer, a comedian, originally from North Carolina. He's been sort of all over the place, and at the end of the show, he can tell you a little bit more about what he's up to. Um, ladies and gentlemen, J.W. Crump. Yeah. Oh, this, is this mic at the perfect height? Great. I was told by a couple of people who heard my voice earlier that I, my voice lends itself to you imagining a taller person. <laughs> so I'm sorry to disappoint um, all the gay men in the room that I'm 5'11", which is a gay forefoot. So, <laughs> oh, good, good. The audience understands. Happy Pride. All right. So I, when I was invited to do this, I took five minutes or less as a challenge. And you'll see why in just a second. I have done a one-man show for um, a number of years now called JWTV. My name's JW. I love television. And I was a data scientist for a long time. So what I like to do is take your favorite pop culture things and ruin them <laughs> by telling you the math behind them, all right? And a lot of that is list making, okay? So what I have done is a list of 100 things that I will say in five minutes or less from a 1980s sitcom called The Facts of Life. Does anyone remember The Facts of Life? Yes, okay. If you do not, it was a spinoff from Different Strokes, and it spun off the character Edna Garrett, who's played by Charlotte Ray, rest in peace, an icon, and it ended up being NBC's longest-running show when it ended because it did over 200 episodes in nine seasons, and it's for many, many, many years, it held the distinction of the longest-running show that had an all-female-led cast, all right? So this was feminism before brands took over feminism, all right? Cool. All right, so what I realized was that in the Facts of Life, every single episode tried to teach you a fact of life, a lesson, and they did the ones that you would think, um, divorce and, uh, 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 like, that's the only example I have, divorce, uh, uh, 200 episodes of divorce. No, they divorce and relationship things and whatever, but that was about 100 of the episodes. The other 100 episodes were really specific facts of life, which I believe are all true, but also so wildly specific for a sitcom to tackle that I had to list them all. And now I'm going to read them out. These are all the hundred facts of life that you learn from the facts of life. Um, if could someone get a stopwatch, I want to see if I can do this in five minutes. All right. Someone got it. All right. Do not start until I start speaking. Cool. Because I did this once and failed and did this once and succeeded. And we'll see what the tiebreaker is. All right. On mark, get set, hear all the lessons, go. Sometimes you're not a lesbian, you're just young. Your divorcee mother will try to bang your headmaster. IQ tests are sexist. Don't plagiarize Emily Dickinson, people will know. Anyone can run a sex ed class. Don't arrange for someone else to meet their birth mother. The first place you should save during a flood is the school stables. Opposite personalities actually don't make good friends. If you land in jail, you'll work in a cafeteria for the rest of your life. If someone asks your tomboy friend, 
friend out they only have bad intentions. Don't shoplift ugly clothes. Your Navy boyfriend will propose the first chance he gets. Tootie, stop gossiping so much. Sometimes being the school slut is a great brand. Your dad could make parole at any moment. Zsa Zsa Gabor gives good advice. The perfect age to be a model is 12. Interracial couples have issues that have nothing to do with race. You'll start drinking as soon as you get braces. Your teenage friend might lose their baby. Not lose it, literally lose it. You can lie in the school newspaper about a teacher to get them fired. Anyone can get hired at a Howard Johnson's. Heterosexuals can spend time together without wanting to have sex. I know. Russia and the Ukraine are the same country. Your Japanese father hates rock and roll. Other people's relationships are always your business. Famous people don't want handmade gifts. Your parents are cheating on each other in public. If you spend time in a diner, you'll be asked to start prostitution. You can't go home again because your friends suck now. The right dress is all you need, girl. Fighting book censorship is worth losing your job over. The 1980s recession sucked. You can fake an abortion real easy. A hearing problem might change your personality. Old people act exclusively on whimsy. Your dad's bad accounting practices can affect your friendship with him. Sadie Hawkins dances are a weird concept. Princesses might try to run away. Teachers get sick too. Nuns are always actively trying to recruit other nuns. Squirrels are hard to get out of your bedroom. A whole episode. All night study sessions are worthless. Your son will pay for your new vent business venture. Let me do that one again. Your son will pay for your new business venture. Sorority pledging is exclusively based on catering. It's hard to date rich when you're poor. Student athletes can survive an absurd amount of time without learning to read. Your boyfriend is probably stripping. If another business is beating you, it's because a man is cheating. Your parents aren't going to get back together. It's okay for a childless 15-year-old to give unprovoked parenting advice. People who are popular in high school won't be popular in college. The year 2000 is mostly smoke. Your mom is a person too. Cerebral palsy doesn't make you good at spreadsheets. Divorce can be fixed with one solid vacation. A pizza box can live your life. Computer dating services are better for finding friends than lovers. It's easy to fall in love with a photographer. If you go back to college in your 60s, get an English degree. College radio stations don't have standards at all. Your friendships can survive small claims court. Prisoners love Christmas. You can sell out a one-woman show about Eleanor Roosevelt. You can learn a lot of life lessons from a dead jazz legend. Delis are great locations for cocaine deals. Don't spend months building a custom bookcase for someone if you don't know they're going to use it. Having an education doesn't mean you'll be good at business. House fires are opportunities. Every contractor is trying to screw you over. Don't become a teacher just because you feel bad for teachers. Porn should cater to all genders. You can convince your mother not to have an abortion. Singing talent isn't a replacement for gumption. Polyamorous emotional relationships save marriages. That was a weird one. Premature births are cute as long as it's Christmas. You can learn to ballroom dance at any age. Stand-up comedy can take place anywhere. And The Tonight Show's talent coordinator will show up. Sometimes you'll be in an elevator with a Holocaust survivor. It's okay to F off for weeks to Atlantic City to hook up. Local mayors have big secrets. You can win the lottery, lose your camera on the same day. Apartments suck, only a couple left. Your mother figure may move to Africa real late in life. It's cheaper to remodel your entire house instead of moving out. A pop star is going to take your Broadway role from you. Your new friends will hate your old friends. Dating apps are going to be big. Don't hire your friends at a fast food restaurant. Don't let someone plagiarize your short story. Insider trading is bad. Skiing leads to sex. You can't buy 
by admission to law school. People will assume you're in a relationship with your law professor. Ask your rich friend to save the community center. The winter carnival is the worst time for your boyfriend to visit. You might die when you're 30. You might need to close your business to make room for an Australian exchange student that you're housing. Fantasy fundraisers are better than the real thing, and it's easy to move to Soho. That's 100 lessons from the facts of life. <laughs> Anyway, it's a good show. I have it on DVD twice over. I've been J.W. Crump. Thank you, everybody. J.W. Crump, ladies and gentlemen. J.W. Crump, thank you so much. I now have to know what I'm going to do later. Gonna, is it, is it uh, available on Netflix? I have to buy it? You have to buy it. I, I have to buy it, okay. <laughs> Hard to find, but now we know how to choose our favorite episodes. <laughs> All right, now, ladies and gentlemen, uh, from the Midwest, from Wisconsin, all the way to New York, this young woman has been far away, as far away as Australia, but she's here tonight, and she's going to share a song with us. Ladies and gentlemen, Susanna Caron. so much. Can you tell us what that was? Uh, okay, I'm not going to get, you gotta, please come. Go. <laughs> Something about Scarlatt, Scarlatti. Le Violette by Scarlatti. Thank you, Susanna. <laughs> oh, wow. Next up is a man who is from Hampshire, Illinois. Where is that? It's outside of Chicago. This is someone, I just met him, but he's a piano player. But tonight he brought his guitar to see what's going to happen. So let's see what's going to happen. Ladies and gentlemen, Sean Darty. Hello. <laughs> um, I'm Sean. I'm a, generally a musical theater actor or a concert. Like, I sing in concert a lot. I do uh, a lot of stuff just around the world doing concerts. Um, but I just recently have started to share music that I've written. And um, let, full disclosure, I was supposed to have my friend come play guitar for me tonight, and she could, had to work, so she couldn't come. So this is my first time ever accompanying myself live. 
which is terrifying. Um, but hopefully I won't mess it up too bad, so this might be just very, uh, this is truly the first time. Um, I wrote this song, I think like two years ago, and I've got a bunch of music that I've been wanting to put onto an EP or an album. And uh, I would tell you what it was about, but that ruins all the fun, so. <laughs> uh, but this is called uh, Before You're Gone. Myself angry that I'm finding myself sad, feeling like I'm missing someone that I never even had. Finding myself scared. Next, we have uh, someone who is from Jersey. Yeah. Jersey, but has moved to Brooklyn. A poet, a copywriter working in advertising, ladies and gentlemen, Kayla Schwab. Hello. 
Um, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Um, so yeah, I live in Brooklyn now and I moved there. A large part of why I moved there was I knew there was a huge poetry community there and I've been writing poetry forever, but it really became like a necessary part of my life in college. And so after I graduated, I was like, I need to be immersed in this still. And I found Brooklyn Poets, which is a really awesome nonprofit organization that has workshops and readings, and that's really awesome. And I'm also a member of Sweet Action, which is another Brooklyn-based poetry collective for women. So if anyone has questions about that, let me know. It's really fun. Um, so this is a poem that I wrote in a Brooklyn Poets-sponsored workshop called La Jolla, which is a beach in Southern California. Um, and it has a little epigraph. So, local Native Americans, the Kumayai, called this location Mat Kulahuay, Land of Holes, an alternative pseudo-etymological suggestion for the origin of the name is that it is an alternative spelling of the Spanish word La Jolla, which means the jewel. La Jolla. The San Diego coastline, like half-moon thighs, quakes, tides rushing in, sharp and cold as crystal, shocking the earth's bounds into fading. A sea that swallows must spit back, but her jaw is heavy with centuries of sand. Strange men making jewels with calloused hands, melting down her debris. La Jolla is a land of holes, lost to time and translation, born of a buried language that I know so little about, though I too have been naked and numb on the coast, looking inland, pillages patter in her caverns, memories vivid, ahoy, ahoy, like salt, stinging her cheeks. La Jolla is the farthest I've wandered from the east. How surprised I was to see the sun setting in a place where I expect it to rise. Over the sea, I carry with me three sand dollars with holes bored into them, doveless with a piece that's hard to come by. Thank you. Kayla Schwab, thank you, Kayla, thank you. Next up is a man who spent all day with clients. Have you ever spent all day with clients? I have the other day. <laughs> Jessica does it in France. He was actually here for episode one, where he sang a couple songs. But today, he's going to do something completely different. The lovable, the very much loved, Barney Miller. Hello, hello, hello. Give it up for David Heller, everybody! I've known David for years. I didn't know he knew so many talented people. It's uh, quite intimidating. Of course, um, I'm really uh, a film editor and sometimes a songwriter. So today I'm going to read a poem, and I am not a real poet. So I'm, These are shitty poems. I'm going <laughs> to read two poems, and, um, and uh, they're not as funny as me. Um, but uh, also, last time I was here, I rudely took more than five minutes. These are very short poems. The first one is called Perfection. Perfection, a concept, a human construction, as randomness dances from cradle to grave, it gave me a glimpse into something important, transcendent, immortal, but with no descendants of vapor, eternal as haze. So gather her thoughts, all the strings and connections, 
connected by only the choice that she made, or better yet, gather the songs of a singer. Let's bring them in focus, the souls of the hopeless, and help spread the love that she craved. I, I also rhyme, which poets aren't supposed to do, but again, I'm really a songwriter, so. Uh, this next one is about creating and not putting it in front of people. And uh, I don't have a title, so it's untitled. If this was a thought, not a pen, not a paper, no computer or handheld devices, you buy this, it's priceless. But only a concept, hypothesis, leading to theories both proven and pointless. My point is that thinking alone isn't lonely. If puzzling pieces of prose are the only companions you have at the moment, then greet them and treat them with only respect. And never forget that the pen and the paper, like vapor, eventually crumple and crumble. Eternity may or may not be eternal, but only this moment's divine. And I forgot to apologize for using the word vapor in two different poems, but there you go. The one and only Barney Miller, everyone. Thanks for coming, Barney. But to, after the client all day and being here, he's going to band rehearsal. I am. And after band rehearsal? Sleep. Sleep, okay. Next up is another uh, return person from episode number one. Uh, a young woman currently studying in college, committed to her college in New York City. I won't name the college. It starts with a B. It only accepts women, as most good colleges <laughs> do at one point or other. <laughs> the ones that start with a V are very good. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, writer, actor, filmmaker, Willa Cuthrell Tuttleman. Yeah, women's colleges are getting trendy, so catch up. Um, <laughs> yeah, so this is about growing up adopted. And um, it's a non, yeah, it's a nonfiction piece, so I cut it down a lot too. When I was around four or five years old, mom signed me up for a Chinese language and cultural immersion course. I'm adopted. She wanted me to stay in touch with my roots. I remember copying down countless Chinese characters, focused more on their shape than what they actually meant. And I remember the teacher, Miss Fei, a Chinese woman of about 60 who sounded angry even though she was just telling me that I wasn't lifting my leg high enough or that I was on the wrong side of the stage during dance class. She colored her lipstick outside the lines. Dad would take me and my sister and my mom to his parents' house for the holidays. My parents called me Sweet Pea or Beauty Queen or Wild Thing, and I was all of those things when we were alone together, but I wasn't any of those things around these other people who wanted so badly for me to like them when it was still too early for me to consciously bestow liking onto someone. If an adult tried to talk to me when my parents weren't with me, I would cry, or I would bark at them, or I would crawl under the table or run behind dad's legs. I liked Hawaii more, where mom's side of the family lived. Grandma and grandpa had an apartment in Honolulu, which was tiny and had wall-to-wall -wall carpeting and two fans as air conditioning. On that side of the family, my cousins and I would play for hours in that apartment and eat Cheetos and watch Lilo and Stitch on the small television in grandma's room while the adults sat in the kitchen, drinking beers or iced teas without coasters. During the day, Uncle Bobby would drive my cousins and me in his car, which had broken air conditioning and sand in between the car seats. He'd drive us to the beach or to the movies or to the aquarium, and I would spend hours staring at the fish and dolphins and eel, wanting to live there with them. School was hard when it first started. I met Alex in kindergarten. 
He had blonde hair, and his legs were skinny, and he was sweaty, and I loved him a lot. And I didn't really understand why others teased and whispered about it like it was a big secret, because I made sure that it wasn't a secret. I told him that I loved him every day, out loud in class, and after class in person, and in between classes, and even to his mom when she came to pick him up. I had been and continued to be a late bloomer. Only instead of breasts and acne and periods, it was shame and reserve and embarrassment that were slow to develop. This extended to other things, because when Alex told me I had a mustache, I hit him in the mouth and almost made him swallow one of his loose teeth. The girl that he did like was freckled and had milk-white skin, and when she sat in front of me in class, I cut bits of her hair off with the scissors meant for making collages of her family trees. <laughs> At home, I went into the bathroom and locked the door and plucked out the fine dark hairs above my lip, one by one with my stubby fingernails. I was in there for a long time, and Dad finally threatened to call the police or the super if I kept refusing to open the door. Sometimes when I'd come home, I'd hide in Dad's suitcase in his closet, because I liked hearing my parents panic and call for me, and I liked being the one to make that all go away, too. Barbara Ann was a mother at school who threw parties for Chinese New Year, and my parents would take me every February to her high-ceiling Soho apartment, where kids drank egg drop soup and cracked fortune cookies mass-ordered from Food Emporium. Rose was my best friend, and she and I would sit under the table and read each other our lucky numbers while kids dropped chopsticks or stuck them up their noses. They'd run around in rooms they weren't supposed to run around in and pulled each other's hair. Jason's and Jacob's and Emily's and Sophia's and Anna's. On the car ride home, Mom and Dad would ask if I had fun, and every time I'd say that I did, without knowing if what I felt at the party was what fun was supposed to feel like. It took me a long time to be able to sleep alone. I'd wiggle in the space between my parents after they'd fallen asleep, but Dad is a light sleeper and would usually wake up even before I made it under the covers. As I got older, he'd start moving to the couch because he couldn't sleep in a crowded bed. But when I was younger, he'd sometimes stay up with me, and we'd, mi we'd mix together all the stony field yogurt we had in the fridge until we made a giant bowl of lavender goop. We'd eat it with granola while stacking colored blocks or playing the memory game, and we did this until the sun came up. I would fall asleep on the couch while Dad sat by my feet, reading the news on his laptop. On the weekends, Mom would let me lie over her lap in bed in the morning while she slid bobby pins into my hair. If she saw wax in my ear, she'd tell me to hold still, and while she dug around in my ear, I'd ask her questions, like if it was possible to move things with your eyes, what the word fuck meant, if angels existed, or if she could tell me the story about when she and Dad got me from Nan Chang. Mom taught me important things. She taught me to laugh and shout and say, I'm angry when I was angry, and I'm in love when I was in love, and I'm confused when I was confused, and I'm beautiful when I was beautiful, and I'm sad when I was sad and I'm joyful when I was joyful, and I'm home when I was home. Thanks. Willa Cuthbert Tuttleman, thank you very much for sharing that. Next up is someone who went to school for something I think we should all go to school for, and that's studying the theater. What is there better to study than the theater? Hunter, anything? What, what did you study? Sociology? Psychology. <laughs> Jessica, what did you study? Uh, doodles? Uh, mass communications. Mass communications. Kimberly? Architecture. Let's agree. The theater is the thing we should all study. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Chloe Day. Hello, I'm Chloe Day. I did study the theater, but it has been several years since I did any major theatering. Um, so a really cool thing about tonight is I'm about to talk about a time 
in which a lot of things happened all in a very, very short uh, period. And that was right when I stopped telling stories and I stopped performing. So we're all here together uh, in my first return to telling stories. And it's about the time that I stopped telling stories. <laughs> so thank you. And uh, please be supportive as I do this. Uh, <laughs> so ever since then, I found the most comfort in writing uh, because it's performative, but it's secret and behind the scenes and my face isn't there and it makes me feel comfortable. And something that I found solace in, which I think almost everyone relates to, is food, which has been both problematic and extremely enjoyable. Uh, so now I write stories about food and that's the medium I use to discuss most things. So this essay that I'm reading tonight is called Plate, Cup, Knife, and Fork. And so, in 2017, in the span of three weeks, my parents uh, epically got divorced, did it real big. Um, I myself was left at the altar. I watched a random man die in front of me, and my aunt was found dead in the Colorado mountains, making it my second of my dad's siblings to be found dead in the Colorado mountains in a span of years. Pretty much immediately after that, in a, I'm sure, very clear state of mind, I wrote this piece. Uh, so, a quick anecdote slightly lower stakes. As summer was approaching at this time, I decided to change apartments in light of my very good friendships and roomie leaving New York for a few months. Shout out Sean Doherty in the audience with us here tonight. Um, I had an opportunity to move in with several great friends and I took it. However, this led to my dear friend who I was living with at the time needing to fill space in her Astoria home. And during her interview process, one of the applicants mentioned having a less than optimal experience at a previous sublet, as many of us have, I'm sure. She has been awarded an internship in Washington, D.C. the year that, I had required, that had, she had required her to fill temporary housing. Like any young person in that scenario, she was both parts nervous and also very excited about where she might land, the opportunities she would find, and of course, who she was going to land with in this temporary household. After a little work, she found a gal that seemed to be a great fit, right location, right price, right personality, her apartment seemed big and cool. Everything about the situation appeared to be a welcoming temporary home. But lo and behold, our heroine showed up on move-in day with her suitcases and a full work schedule, looking forward to meeting her new roomie, getting settled in, and upon entry, her roommate opened the door, showed her to a room, and promptly took her to the kitchen. And that's where she presented her with exactly one plate, one cup, one knife, and one fork. Upon entry, her roommate then said, these are yours. She left the room. The interaction instantly set the tone for their summer together. Nothing overly horrible happened, nothing overly elating happened either. It was simply that, in general, this roommate was not desiring to, able to, willing to create a home with her new subletter. She offered an amazing space on a limited basis. There were clear boundaries, all of them saying, hey, you can totally be here, but there are rules and please don't get comfortable. Here's my take. So coming home on the train the week that I wrote this before I moved out to my new place in Harlem, rain was hailing and thrumming on top of a metal train car. The elevated track offered a view of New York City, frosted with veins of lightning and adorned with low rumbles of thunder. And in a bolt of my own thought, I had a small discovery. I'm often asked, I'm sorry, but why exactly did you fall in love with this treacherous ex in the first place? Desperate empathizers attempting to suss out the situation would say, what were the good parts of dating blank person because I cannot figure it out. I find myself often answering very truthfully, and that's that there were very, very many. 
There was no lack of joyful moments, blissful sun-filled mornings, full body laughs through late nights together. However, what I did discover in these months and years spent together experiencing life in new ways, and what I've discovered since then, is that there was a footnote in the quality of love that this person had to offer. And when I say quality of love, I mean the manner in which, the extent to which, the attitude with which one loves another person. And I think we are tempted by our egos to see love as an on-off, a pass-fail, an all-or-nothing situation. But I think that what we learn as we grow is the uncomfortable reality that there are many gray areas. There are many exceptions, often not aligning. There is a lot of compassion and understanding that feeds and nurtures love between two people, but there are not questions of just what is right, wrong, or fair, but what is healthy and what is good. Contrastingly, there are many sticking points that if you do not adapt or change, seem to circumvent or halt the progress of healthy love entirely. One of these is a withholding of love itself. If you come to a person who is ready to throw their full heart and arms open to you, to which you respond, yes, then you are welcoming them into your emotional apartment. You are promising what you think you have to offer, and inevitably you present them with what you truly have available. Depending on where you're at in your journey, this might merely be one plate, one cup, one knife, one fork. It isn't nothing. It is a love with limitations. But you also may not see that the person that you're looking at can see the ample dish collection behind you, featuring a vast number of items. Also, seeing that you have valued them with only a fraction of that bounty, keeping the rest for your own utilization. It just so happens that I am personally built with only one mode. I give infinite access to my dish collection. I'm known to really cough up a crate and barrel's worth of love just after one month or one week. <laughs> it's how I am, and I'm never going to change because full disclosure, I'm basically a baby. This is simply my observation based on my recent life experience, but I feel like it is the truth expressed through every relationship I've encountered, whether it is expanding or that relationship is diminishing. Even though my heart really went through the blunder during this period of time, I've been able to step back, reel a little bit, regain some balance, and experience new things, things and people. But when I arrived in New York, albeit accidentally, my brain and heart were so fragile and soft in just such a manner that, oddly, I gained the benefit of not really being able to get in my own way. I couldn't give, 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 because I literally had nothing to give. So even though this led me to a very... Uh, defective and feeling of inferiority, frankly, I became rather apologetic. I saw what happened, and I had the opportunity to witness what happens when you show up with nothing in hand except for your true, freshly bandaged, broken-hearted, shell-shocked, hurting little self. And I really hope that this is relatable to someone who needs to hear it too. Because the fact is, is that there's an idea that your flame can die if it needs to die for a while, and people will still love you. And calls and texts and emails can all go unanswered if they must, and people will still love you. Gifts can go unpurchased, undelivered, entirely unremembered, and people will still love you. Your mind can wander, your heart can hide, your laugh can leave, your smile can fade and people will love you regardless. I found myself deeply humbled once again by the many gifts I've been given in life and an experience that rocked me emotionally, physically, geographically, financially. I've somehow managed to find many blessings at my doorstep in the hardened, no-nonsense city of New York, where I've only found persistence, shared experience, open arms, true friendship, and absolutely no small amount, lots of whiskey. In a year that began with the loss of an approaching marriage, the end of my parents' marriage, and the tragic death of a family member, and everything that comes with that, I've gained more love in my life than I imagined would come my way. So when handed one plate, one cup, one knife, and one fork, I'm happy to say I turned my small collection into a vast menagerie. I look forward to a life of full of love with a fully stocked kitchen and bar, of course. 
a place where I can contribute my array of dishes to a partner who can contribute theirs. And with that, I really think this dish metaphor has gone way as far as it should. <laughs> Many knives, forks, and big, big love to each and every one of you. Chloe Day, Chloe Day, thank you, Chloe. Storytelling again, Chloe. Uh, so we're going to turn from a story of divorce to thinking about marriage and um, staying together. Uh, my partner over here, Kimberly, her grandparents have been together for a long time. How many years have they been married? And uh, I, I don't think 78 years they've been married. It's incredible. I myself have been married for 22 years. We just had our anniversary. <laughs> well, you know, it, feel, it feels different. I'd like to introduce two people who've been married uh, for longer than 22 years. They actually showed us the way. 28. I heard 27. Is it 20? 28 this year, so currently 27. Okay, these are, are, are two, this is a couple who lives in Greenwich Village and they love traveling, motorcycles, the beach, swimming, and a lot of other things that I can't think of right now. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, the Millingtons. Thank you. Thank you. Our, uh, our talk today is about something that has kept us uh, together amidst, you know, the highs and lows. Uh, and it's important, I think, for every marriage uh, to incorporate into their, you know, into their marriage. union, into their union. Highs and lows. Yeah. Uh, and in the... Um, Otherwise, it's boring. Yeah. Um, but to take this as an important step into the um, um, nuptial arrangement. And it's... Uh, what, what is it, Jessica? Bickering. <laughs> the topic is bickering. Yeah. Um, bickering is the essential. The password is bickering. Uh, um, Do you want to define think, bickering for Yeah, us? let me define it. Uh, and I, I looked at, I Googled it. And bickering mm -hmm. is petty and petulant quarreling, especially when prolonged or habitual. Um, <laughs> We've gotten very good at this, yeah. actually. I mean, uh, and it's, you know, it didn't start at the, at the beginning of our marriage, but we developed it. It's and an art. It, it is definitely an it art is an and art. a skill. Um, and uh, I think it's important that you know how bickering starts, um, you know, uh, as an as a activity. Um, <laughs> Did it, anyone major in bickering in college? Um, so, so it's usually, it, it can start with a, a seemingly benign comment, something like, Oh, honey, I, I see you got something from Amazon. Could that be another book? Yeah, I'll, I'll get a box uh, that shows up uh, on the front door, and it's another box from Amazon. And that can, you know... That'll start a yeah. whole yeah, I, I, episode. It could be something a bit more pointed, something like... But I would like to just interject. Yeah. When you get a box, there's no... It's like, I'll say... Oh, you have a box from something or other, and you'll be like, "Oh yeah, yeah, that's my so and so." Like some really ne necessary thing, but, like the bike pump that just yeah, showed but, but up. Yeah, but the thing about Jessica, the thing about Jessica, we is, have a bike pump. Is that she'll get a box and she'll hide it. Yeah. She'll hide it in a closet. When she wants to get my goat, 
She puts it right out on the coffee table. So I come in from home and it's right there. It's like, oh, Amazon, a box, another another box. Another throw Ana pillow. Another way that you've spent our money. Um, <laughs> Another, another way to start is something with a, a bit more pointed. Um, something like, you know, honey, you could box up some of those old books that you've been keeping. Yes, the ones that come from Amazon. Yeah, yeah. And, and the ones that I've inherited. And I've inherited a lot of, we were talking about divorce and death. I have in, inherited a lot of things, and books are one of them. Yeah, and books, I do have a problem getting rid of them, I yeah, have to say. Yeah, and I, I explained to her that there is the internet, and you can read online, but nevertheless, it's this Well, mounting. you have to understand, Hunter is the type of person in the mail room, he goes through the mail. I bring the mail up and just pile it up, it up, and someday when I, you know, have nothing to do, I'll go through it. Yeah, yeah. So we we have very different ways of dealing with things. But there are different themes, and I think anyone who is married or going to get married will will find these themes universally. Money, money, and, money, and spending are a universal theme. There's always arguments about money. Uh, there's arguments about family. Your sister is coming again for how many days? Right. We have a two-day rule, by the way. If we establish a two-day rule. With us, it's a two-day rule. Yeah. Driving is a big how one. How does a two-day rule work? She, no one, no one can stay in our house longer than two nights. Not even if you and Kim come in, and visit two us. Nights. And, two nights. If you want to come Max. downtown, two nights. Yeah. The arguments about. Then you can go to the Jane Hotel. About family or legendary. Um, driving. 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 So I used to uh, race motorcycles, and I I drive a car like exactly I, yeah. the way you race a motorcycle. Yeah. No accidents, but uh, terrifying. excellent driver. Absolutely terrifying. Excellent driver, but it's good when you're alone, not yeah. when someone is in the passenger seat. Yeah, yeah. Everything is exacerbated in the passenger seat. Yeah, the other because when I drive, you get terrified, and I'm a good driver. But you and you actually exhibit rage. I don't. Really oh, have I have rage. road rage. But that's that. Continue with our. Yeah. So uh, other. Um, uh, um, essentials uh, in the uh, in the in the oeuvre. Um, the bicker the bicker genre. Yeah. Sorry. Is is memory and not remembering things. Well, isn't that kind of the same? Thing Jessica with you? talks a prodigious amount, <laughs> and so so I have this automatic filter. It's called selective captures, listening. Captures selective key, listening. Right, you know this key points, and then she'll ask me, well. Don't you remember Bob from uh, the last time he was here and that, that kind of thing? And it just, it always escalates. Yes, because yeah. you have selective listening. And I think it's a male-female thing. And I, I know it's Pride Week and everything and great. But I, in male and female do have, women can multitask, hear everything, and remember everything. And I think men are just not listening. We're and you can't... <laughs> Remember anything? We're because concentrating I have to, on I other have to, things. Look at this. This is an example of bickering, ladies and gentlemen. I have to sit, preamble, honey. I'm going to talk now. Men, put men, your listening ears on. Hear this because this is important to you. If you, uh, with your significant other, male or female, make sure that they offer you a preamble. Say, have them say to you, honey, stop watching the television. Safe I word. have something I want to word. tell you. Otherwise, yes. yeah. Yes, it's true. And you know, this brings me to an important part of a bicker. There is an arc, an arc to a bicker. And the arc, you know, when you're young, you don't see that arc. When you're older, not only do you see the arc, but if you initiate the bicker, you, 
shape the arc. So, you know, and Jessica does this very well, both publicly and privately. And it's, it, it's just daunting to try to argue with her sometimes. And I want to get to some of the, some of the ways... Some that, of the key arguments? No, the classics? Well, we've, we've, we've touched on a few of them. I want to uh, explain how, um, how bicker, bickering ends. Right? Okay. Uh, the, the how reason- much time do we have, by the way? Okay, okay excellent. Okay. Um, so there are a couple of reasons why a bickering uh, argument ends. One is uh, that uh, there are feelings of you know, cold feet, uh, feelings of regret and shame. You know, you might talk about something and then you see your wife like starting to get misty-eyed and teary, and it's like, like okay, I'm sorry, it's when, my fault. What and was I, that we were bickering about the other night? I don't remember. I can't remember. And you see, that's crying. the other thing. You and can't crying is a killer. Thing. I mean, I can't. I can't. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> and I'm, I'm not a crier, but you actually tears welled up. In, yeah. yeah. I don't yeah. remember what it was though. <laughs> was it the dishwasher? No. <laughs> You know, the, the dishwasher, actually. Oh, are we done? Is it time? The dishwasher is an interesting thing because I, I start things and Hunter finishes them. That's just the way we are. So I usually I load the dishwasher. I unload. And he unloads. But every time I load it, I put the cutting board at the edge. And he'll, he'll put something in. Which it is makes not no really sense at all because if you put the cutting board at the edge, when you push the, it closed, it, it knocks bangs. up against the side. But all you have to do is go like this. It's Move a simple it. this, this, shut the door, shut the door. That's not your problem. You unload, I load. Okay. L- let's be clear here. Bickering does not change behavior. Bickering is merely an anger, annoyance, release valve. It's like farting in public. It, it's like little bursts of hot air. Uh, and the last thing that you should know about bickering is this is adult activity. This is not for children. Don't try this at home. An adult can bicker with a child, but a child cannot bicker with another yeah. child. No, they, you, you have that's to, just that's simply acquired, arguing. That's arguing. That has a beginning and a middle and an end. Real bickering lasts forever. <laughs> Are you looking for bicker.com or bickering.com? Where can we find you? I think B-I-C-K-R. Like B-I-C-K-R. Thank you, Hunter and Jessica. Thank you so much, everyone, for sharing. That was really fantastic. Does anybody else want to share anything? Okay, so it's time for what we call thank yous and promotions. I wrote them down so I don't forget anyone. Hold on a second. I lost them. Well, first of all, thank you guys who brought and shared. That's, it's really important to, to hear everyone's stories. And um, we want this to be a space where you can bring stuff and uh, feel comfortable sharing it. And I think it sort of is that and it's becoming that. And it's, it's really nice to hear everyone's stuff. Um, thank you, Kim Bassett, helped produce this. On our, on our site, Kim did the... Art, a lot of the art, although she didn't sign it, so nobody knows she did it. Um, Grace Hammerstein produced this event, invited a bunch of you guys. Sophie, in charge of the social media, help you guys get the word out about your stuff. Will Malone, as our sound engineer, makes you guys sound great if you have heard any of the first two podcasts. They really sound good. Well, thank you so much. Julian, his able assistant. Thank you, Julian. Charlotte, our 
portraiture specialist. If you've seen the uh, portraits, what do you call them, the pictures, the drawings, the line drawings on the site, Charlotte's responsible for those and they're really nice. And now it's time to promote. We think promoting things is important. You guys are all working hard at stuff and this is the opportunity to promote the stuff that you're all doing. Grace, do you want to help people promote their stuff? You guys are all wonderful. Thank you for being here. Sean, who you heard on guitar, has a show coming up uh, on September 20th. So there are a couple months until then. It's at 9.30 at Green Room 42, which I've seen him perform at before. It's a great venue. Um, and it, he describes it as a tribute to the wave of dramatic modern musical songs that took over most of colleges in the last decade. So that sounds interesting. <laughs> Can you give an example of that? Uh, Run Away With Me by Carrie Lauderdale. Okay, so some Sorry. people know what that is. <laughs> I don't. But yeah, September um, 20th, and I, we will be posting all of this information. Uh, Chloe has a podcast called Better Than Boys, which is relaunching Tuesday, this coming Tuesday, so July 2nd. Um, and it's newly focused content available anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts, aka Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, I assume. And then on Wednesday, so the following day, she'll be launching her new blog series called The Urban Scratch Diary, documenting food memories from the Brooklyn waterfront and beyond. And lastly, JW, who we heard first, is... <laughs> no, it's not. Nothing is stupid. No, it's actually fascinating, and I, I will be tuning in. He's co-hosting a podcast that's an episode-by-episode -episode recap of America's Next Top Model, ANTM. <laughs> It's called Pod Lidom. Pod Lidom. Oh. Deep cut reference to season 17. <laughs> Obviously. There are poets here. <laughs> <laughs> and um, this, this season of the show will be covering cycle four. Yeah, right now we're in cycle four. Amazing. So uh, subscribe and, and listen. Yeah. That's all I got. Uh, Barney has uh, Charlotte's Jam. You want to promote Charlotte's Jam? Come on up. Come on. You're, there's nobody better at promoting Barney than Barney. Is this one on? Uh, I, um, you can hear my music, which you didn't hear tonight, uh, <laughs> with my band Astro Chicken, which is on Spotify. Astro Chicken. Don't ask. It's a dumb band name, but I don't care. Um, and uh, I have a podcast where I talk about movies, so it's a totally different thing that uh, David and uh, Content Mint and Assembly and Kim and everyone helped me with called uh, Mr. Movie Club, which is also on iTunes and In the first episode, Apple Podcasts. In the first episode, I interviewed my friend Mark Seliger, who's a pretty well-known photographer and director, but we have two episodes up with another, my friend uh, Sarah Perosic, who's an independent filmmaker. Anyway, check it out, Mr. Movie Club. Not Movie Club, that's a different podcast, Mr. Movie Club. And, I, and yeah, and I'm doing a charity show this Sunday down at Westbeth for anyone who wants to come to help uh, fight suicide. It's for suicide prevention. It's called Charlotte's Jam. It's going to be a bunch of musicians, including DeRay, who was on episode one here. And that's down great. at Westbeth yeah. West Beth Community Center at 155. Bethune. No, it's actually not on Bethune. The entrance is on Bank Street. 55 Bank Street. Anyway, look it up. It's the West Beth, West Beth Community Center. We'll get yeah, it right. We're going to have a class trip of uh, contentment people going Come to Charlotte's Jam. Thanks, Barney. Okay. Somebody else here has something to promote. 
Sophie Eng has something to promote. Follow Content Mint on Twitter and Instagram at Content Mint Co. Um, for B- bigger, more info coming about Bicker. B i c k r dot com. Do you have the? Do you own the URL? Or are we sending people? We don't know if we own the. We're going right now to buy the URL. Wait a day or two, and we'll send more information about Bicker dot com. Um, for those of you at home, don't listen to the next part. In room one, there is beer, wine, cheese, apricots, crackers. Uh, we are beer, wine, and cheese. Everybody come and uh, stay as long as you want. Let's mingle. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>